for us to celebrate Easter, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Thank you, Whitney, for leading us so well in the worship of the one who has been dead and is now alive. A message today entitled, What Easter Means. What Easter Means. If you will, if you found Matthew chapter 28, if it's on your device, you can go to that live on our uh, um, app and follow along. Let's stand together to honor the reading of God's holy word. Verse 1 reads, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Father, on this day when we commemorate Jesus' resurrection from the dead, I pray that it will be more than just a holiday weekend. I pray that it will be a time when we commune with you and you with us and that we can come to terms with who you are and what you want to do in us, through us, because of what you've done for us at the tomb. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Title of the message, What Easter Means. So I, I want today, as we share this message together, to talk to us about what Easter means. Now, please listen. <clears throat> I don't, I didn't ask what does Easter mean to you or what does Easter mean to me? Because if we get into just what it means to us as individuals, we can get in some scary places. Because for some people, all Easter means is the time we get a new dress or a new suit to go to church, new clothes. For others, it's about an Easter egg hunt, or it's colored eggs, or it's candy, or it's rabbits, or, you know, and rabbits go by a lot of different names. They go by rabbits, bunnies, hare. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I got me over here. I'll tell you, I read a silly story. Are you up for a silly story this morning? If you're not, endure it, okay, because plenty of people are. This man was driving along the road close to his church the week before Easter, and whether you call it a rabbit, a, a bunny, or a hare, that animal ran out in front of him. And he hit the animal, killed it. So here he is with this bunny, this hare, this rabbit. And he's thinking, I have just killed the Easter bunny. 
And so he gets out and he walks over to the to the little hare and he begins to do compressions. He's going to bring that that little animal back to life. And about that time, a lady drove up behind him in a car and got out and said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I have just killed this hare. I just killed this bunny. This this could be the Easter bunny." And she says, "Hang on." She goes back to her car and she gets a can of spray. And she comes back. And she just hoses that little animal down. And all of a sudden, the animal comes back to life, runs off about 10 feet, turns around with a big smile and waves, runs about another 30 feet, turns around, big smile and waves, another about 30 feet, big smile and waves, then in the woods. And the man said, that's incredible. You saved my life. I said, but I just got to know, what was that spray? She said, well, it's hairspray. And it says here on the can, brings old hair back to life and gives a permanent wave. (laughs) I told you how silly it was. (laughs) What does Easter mean? I mean, what does it really mean to us? Please listen. This is the day that we have set aside to commemorate the greatest victory ever won for all of mankind, to celebrate the truth of Jesus' resurrection. And I just want to say this to you. The resurrection of Jesus is not a side issue. For people that go, well, it really doesn't matter. Let me tell you something. If Jesus is still in the ground, Paul writes it this way, we are of all men most miserable. Because if Jesus is still in the ground... We have no hope. But Paul goes on to write, but now, I can see him beating the pulpit, but now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruit of those risen from the dead. Today we've read this scripture about the, in chapter 28, just a very snippet of a larger story. If you were to go back to, to, to set this up, if you were to go back and read chapter 27, It's not the victory. In fact, if you were writing a movie and writing a a musical score for this story, as chapter 27 ends, you will hear the somber music, probably the oboe or the English horn, perhaps a French horn, as, as it's a very somber because you see... Chapter 27 reveals many things to us. It it reveals to us how the crowd chose Barabbas over Jesus. It tells us how, how Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. It tells us that when Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified, how the soldiers, you know, they didn't have to treat uh, uh, criminals, people in their charge. They didn't have to treat them good. How the soldiers abused him and spit on him. And, and then it, it tells us, it tells us that Jesus is actually crucified and that he, he dies and is buried. And then it tells us that we know he is buried because the Roman guards were put there to guard the entrance. And I've often wondered, were they trying to keep him in or us out? And so today, I want us just to walk. This is the most unprofound message you'll have ever heard in your life. It is the most simplest and yet the most true message that you'll ever hear about Easter. Let me give you four truths about Easter I'd like to say very quickly, but my deacons will start laughing, all right? We don't, we don't want to rush God's message, but we're not going to tarry any longer than we have to. 
Truth number one. The tomb is empty. Did y'all get that? The tomb is empty. The place where they buried Jesus is empty. Now, this is significant because we know that Jesus was buried. How do we know Jesus was buried? It's all about the evidence. Joseph of Arimathea was a significant man in town. He had just spent money to carve out this tomb in the side of the mountain, and he had become a follower of Jesus. So when Jesus died, he allowed his brand new tomb to be used for this crucified carpenter of Nazareth. You see, Jesus was laid in the tomb by his followers. And you go, well, that that is not any evidence, but watch this. His followers took him down from the cross. They carried him to the tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, a significant man doing a significant action, was giving his tomb for him to be buried. But you know who followed those guys to the tomb? The Romans, the elders, the people that wanted him dead because they were there to make sure that he was put in the ground. And oh, by the way, as I read this story, sometimes I wonder if the elders, the Sanhedrin, those who had him crucified, and the Romans didn't listen to Jesus more than his followers because it was that bunch that was afraid that he actually, something might happen at that tomb, and they put a seal and they put a Roman guard there. But you know how come I know beyond a reasonable doubt that Jesus was placed in the tomb? Even over the objections of the skeptics. The skeptics tell us, well, you know, Jesus didn't really resurrect from the grave. The tomb's not really empty. He's still there somewhere. Y'all just been going to the wrong tomb all of these years. I'm going to tell you. Here's the kick. You ready? The women. How many women in here have ever forgotten where your mother's buried? Or your daddy's buried? Or your husband's buried? In fact, I would go even further to say, how many of you, just somebody who was important to you, how many of you have forgotten where they were buried? I mean, the women were there on crucifixion day. They came back on resurrection morning to discover the tomb empty. By the way, if the tomb had been empty, you need to remember that the Roman government put the guards there to watch the tomb. They knew. If they had been going to the wrong tomb and his body was findable, the Romans would have found it when all this started about the resurrection. And they would go, no, it's not. Look, here's his dying, here's his decaying dead body. Listen, folks, the tomb is empty. And you know, the tomb being empty leads us to the second truth today. And that is, the death is defeated. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to think that death is defeated. Death is the last enemy of man. It is the one thing that can strike fear into humankind. And it is the one thing that no one escapes. In fact, it used to be the saying that the only thing certain is death and taxes. And we've showed in the government... And so many people are avoiding taxes these days. That narrows it down to one thing. Here's what I'm going to tell you. On that Easter Sunday morning, on that first resurrection day, death itself died. 
The Bible says, O grave, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy victory? (laughs) And it has none anymore because Jesus has been dead. I was thinking about this. You're going to forgive me here. I was was thinking and studying about this. Most of you know by now that I'm a Trekkie. And for those that don't know what a Trekkie is, that means you're a Star Trek fan. I remember the Star Trek, Shatner and that bunch back in the 60s. Next Generation in the 80s, the movies as they began to come out in the 70s. In the second, in the second movie, Spock, his, uh, um, his right-hand man, was killed. Through a series of science fiction events, in the next movie, he came back to life. Two movies later, they were encountering one more struggle in space, I think as Mr. Chekhov said, if that's true, we're dead. This is what Spock said. He said, I've been dead before. (laughs) Now, here's what I want to tell you, just as a footnote. In the last six months, Leonard Nimoy, who played Spock, died. He didn't come back. But here's what I will say to you. Jesus knows how to handle death Because he's been dead before. He's been dead and he came back to life. You know, have you ever thought about it? Jesus was in the grave three days. I mean, I believe it was Martha that said when Lazarus was in the ground for three or four days, and Jesus came and said, roll the stone back. And she said, Lord, please don't do that for he stinketh. Jesus was in the ground long enough for his body to begin to decay, for him to stink it. Why in the world did he stay in the ground three days? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, if he's really God, why didn't he just die on the cross and come back to life? Well, it could be for prophetic reasons, the Bible says. Maybe even Jesus has said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights, so shall the Son of Man be. It could be prophecy. But I'm going to just offer this to you. If that had, had got him down off the cross and he'd come back to life, the swoon theory would have gained strength. And you know what the swoon theory is, don't you? It's one of those skeptic uh, views of the, of the crucifixion and the resurrection. It goes something like this. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just kind of passed out. And he had no life, and so they just assumed he was dead. So they took him down off the cross. They carried him and wrapped him and put him in the tomb. They rolled the stone. James Barber, that's a big stone, isn't it? That's a big stone. A couple of tons, probably. Rolled that stone over the tomb and left him. And then Jesus got there in that cool, moist air of the tomb. And he came back to life. He was revived. So he got out of his grave clothes by himself. Now, that's pretty interesting when you put it in context. Because even when Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, he had to say, loose him and let him go. Because he couldn't get out by himself. So Jesus got out of his clothes. This is a swoon theory. Got out of his clothes by himself. Now, watch this. Then he walked over to the tomb, to the opening of the tomb, 
and he rolled that stone away. And then he walked out, and everything was okay. Now, if you can believe that, the resurrection should be no problem for you. I want you to think about it. A lot of problems with that. From a medic, we have a couple of nurses in here, several nurses in here who can attest to this. When you think of the physical abuse that Jesus went through, he was, um, he had probably dehydrated, shocked, maybe hypovolemic shock from loss of blood, meaning his heart can't beat enough to put energy to the body. Plus, watch this, remember, on the cross there was a spear that went up through his side and tore his pericardial sac. His heart couldn't even beat. And he's going to move, watch this, and he's going to move a two-ton stone. Let me tell you what happened. God said, arise, my son. And he moved the stone. And death was defeated as Jesus came back from the dead. He had been dead for three for three days in that tomb. And here's what we need to here's what we need to put our hands around. Jesus died graveyard dead. He died the death of a sinner. He was perfect. He died to the death of a sinner because he died for my sin, which are many. And he died for your sin, which are many. He died in your place. He died in my place. The Bible still says the wages, the payment, the compensation schedule for sin is death. That's why Jesus died. But he didn't stay dead. The third thing that I'd like to... This is going to be a shocker to you. Are you ready? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Now, I'll just tell you, most skeptics plant their um, feet right here and say, Jesus is not alive. They killed him. And you know what, folks? Under normal circumstances, we should understand that. I mean, coming back from the dead is not a norm. Could I get an amen? I worked in a funeral home for two years with hundreds of uh, uh, people who had passed and I've never seen one get up off the prep table. You see, because on earth, those things don't happen. In human economy, life always gives way to death. Since the Garden of Eden, since sin fell into this world, you do realize that Adam and Eve were not designed to die, but they only started dying when they disobeyed God with their sin And the life that we live on this earth always gives way to death from this life. But listen, in God's economy, death always gives way to life. You see, I I, I can illustrate this, and we can stay here the rest of the day just illustrating this one truth. One day Jesus and his disciples were going about their business. They were coming into town. A widow woman was coming out. And her son was in the casket. They were going to bury him. When the boy met Jesus, life came. The boy was resurrected. When Jairus came to Jesus to to get Jesus to go home with him to heal his 12-year-old daughter before they got home, the 12-year-old daughter died. When he got there, Jesus said, don't worry, it'll be okay. And they laughed and made fun of him. But when death met life, 
life returned. She was raised from the dead. How about Lazarus at the tomb? When Jesus came to the tomb, there was Lazarus. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Aren't you glad he called him by name? Because if he had just said, come forth, everybody who had ever died would have probably come back to life. You see, Jesus is life. Death always surrenders to life. And at his tomb, it was no different. And you say, Brother Jerry, that may be true, but that doesn't prove anything. Well, when you get to history, please listen. I was never taught this in school. When you get to history, you cannot prove anything in history. Did you know that? You cannot prove anything in history. In fact, the only way you can prove something is to recreate it. For instance, I tell Adam that water boils at 212 degrees, and Adam goes, I don't believe it. So what I do is I take a pot of water, I turn the fire on, I put it up there, put a thermometer in it at 212, it starts boiling. I can recreate it. You cannot recreate anything, war wars, depression. But what you do when you talk about history is you look at the evidence. You don't look at what's possible. You look at what's probable. So think about the evidence that Jesus is alive. Just think about it. The guards, the Roman guards, they're standing watch. The Bible speaks of it. They're standing watch. They have the Roman seal. They have all the Roman authority. They knew what happened. They saw him raised from the dead. And as you get down, if you're still in in chapter 28, verse 11, it says, While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Those guys went and said, you know what? This man that said he was coming back from the dead, he was stronger than we were. And he came back from the dead. The guards, exhibit A. The women, exhibit B. You know, I understand I'm about to get in trouble, but it's okay. You may not like this, but men and women are made different. And not one better than the other, just different. In fact, in the study of of humankind, men generally, there are some exceptions, men generally are able to separate themselves from their emotions, compartmentalize enough to do things that need to be done. That is why men have generally, to this point, been things like police officers and firemen because they put themselves, they, at an instant, compartmentalize, and they see a burning building, they know a baby's in there, and they can put aside their safety and go and take care of it and get that baby. A woman, on the other hand, generally, generally uh, lets her emotions show. Generally. When you read the accounts of the resurrection and that the women came to the tomb, and they came to the tomb... In tears because they had lost a loved one. And at the turn of a coin, they did 180 degrees and all of a sudden they went from fear, they went from depression to a hallelujah state. 
In fact, you can take that further and say Exhibit C was a change in the disciples. After Jesus was crucified, they huddled because they were fearing for their own life. But when they saw him alive, they became bold and they became the people who brought Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 because they saw Jesus alive. You want Exhibit D? How about the 500 who stood on the Mount of Ascension and saw Jesus give his last word and head back to heaven? You see, folks, those are shouts of joy. Those are shouts of praise because you know why? Because my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. Job said it. Job said it. My Redeemer lives. A couple of weeks ago, Robin did such a great job of opening up a theme for us.
what great news. The tomb is empty. Death is defeated. Might I just say this to you? You go, well, what does that have to do with me? Do you know the Bible tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sin before Jesus? Tells us that we have no hope before Jesus. But because Jesus defeated the grave, we don't have to fear death because Jesus is alive. My Redeemer's alive. That brings us to the last thought, the best news of all. Because he's alive, we can live. Because he's alive, we can live. Dead in trespasses and sin. You may not have ever come face to face with Jesus before. Today could be your day. Resurrection Day. Easter Sunday. Dead in your trespasses and sin, there's only one way out. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you come to Jesus, he gives you his life. He gives you his living water. He takes your sin and he throws, it as, throws them as far as the east is from the west, drops them in the sea of forgetfulness and remembers them no more. The old Afro-American preacher said, he takes your sin, throw it as far as east is from the west, drops in the sea of forgetfulness, and posts a no fishing sign. You see, it is only Jesus who can forgive sin. And the reason to have your sin forgiven is so important is because no sin is allowed into the presence of holy God. Jesus rose to give you life. What will you do with what Jesus has done? Now then, that's what Easter means. But what does Easter mean to you? It was in like a second grade class where little Jeremy sat. Jeremy was a special needs child. He was 12 years old and in the second grade. And you can tell this has happened many years ago. As they got to spring and toward Easter, the teacher began to tell them about the resurrection story of Easter. And how spring is when new life comes, and that's what, kind of, that's what happened when Jesus came out of the grave, is that new life came. And so then she gave every student in the class a plastic egg, an empty plastic egg. And said, I want you to go home, and I want you to think about putting something in there, bringing it back for class, show and tell tomorrow, that demonstrates new life. Everybody seemed to get it except Jeremy. He just kind of sat there and looked at the egg, and she made, it, she made a mental note to call his parents to explain to them what was going on, and she got busy and simply forgot about it. The next morning, the eggs came, and she was going to demonstrate for everybody, so she took this first, who was that, little Tim, said, that's my egg, and she opened it up, and it had a little flower in it, and he said, this flower, and she said, you know, this is a great example of new life, how during the springtime, flowers bloom. She took the second egg, it was little Susie's egg, and that egg... Uh, was a butterfly, 
or a, a resemblance of a butterfly. She said, this is great because you can see how a caterpillar bursts in a new life as a butterfly. The third egg was Johnny's and opened it up and some moss, and she related that to new life. And the fourth egg she picked up was empty. And she knew it had to be Jeremy's egg. And she thought, I blew it. I didn't call his mom and dad to tell them. And so she just quietly closed it back up. And as she laid it down, Jeremy said, oh, teacher, that was my egg. And she didn't really want to embarrass him. She said, yeah, but you know, um, there's nothing in the egg that shows new life. And he said, oh, teacher. There's nothing in Jesus' tomb. That's what Easter means. Nothing is left in Jesus' tomb. He lives. If you'll put your trust in Him, you can live. Let's pray together.